Good morning. Good to be with you once again on this beautiful Sunday morning. And thank God for His blessings to us. We do serve a faithful God. Amen? Amen. And He's worthy of our praise. Well, we turn our attention uh, once again to the book of Romans. And I want to read uh, as we begin Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I... Um, read many years ago about how a, a famous minister from London, uh, Lloyd Martin Jones, uh, or Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, once preached through the book of Romans in a year. Uh, that was his text for a whole year, and I wondered how could he do that? Uh, but as we've been looking at Romans, I can see how you could preach on this, actually probably over the course of two or three years, uh, because there's so much in this, um, this passage for us, or this book. And so today we want to look at uh, verses 18 through 32 of chapter 1. Let's read. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, envy, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Would you bow your heads with me as we acknowledge the Lord in prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the privilege of being able to gather with other believers and to worship You and to learn more from Your Word. And so as we open our uh, Bibles and turn our attention to Your Word, God, we want to first of all ask for Your blessing. We need You this morning. God, I need you. I need you to strengthen my body and mind and my voice and help me to declare the truth of your word 
in a very clear and understandable way. And Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that you would open up their hearts and help them to hear from you this morning. So Father, speak to us out of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a um, clip from a movie you may have seen. Uh, The film is called Apollo 13. And it's about the ill-fated 1970 Apollo lunar mission, or mission to the moon, where something very terrible happens. And the mission that started out well and was going fine suddenly turns out very badly. And at that moment, as they're making their way to the moon and there's an explosion on board, the lead character, played by Tom Hanks, utters these iconic words, Houston, we have a problem. In the Bible, the heading above verse 18, in my Bible that is, reads, God's wrath against mankind. But it could very well read, heaven, we have a problem. God created man. He created us perfect. He created us holy and righteous in a relationship with Him. And when you read the first couple chapters of Genesis, everything is good. But then suddenly things go terribly wrong and man has a problem. In verses 18 to 32, Paul explains how we got into this situation. That's what we want to look at today. And a spoiler alert before we get to it, it's our fault. (laughs) That's why I've addressed this without excuse. The point Paul is making here is that man is without excuse for the situation that we find ourselves in. In the preceding verses, Paul had talked about how eager he was to come to Rome and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he called it the gospel because it was the good news. This was a good, positive, uplifting message that he was very eager to share with the people in Rome. Rome. However, he understood that before his readers could really appreciate why this message was good news, they need to know the problem that the gospel addresses. See, it's good news because there was a problem and the gospel solves that problem. So Paul makes it very clear that mankind has this problem. And that's what verse 18 says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What is the truth that mankind is suppressing when he says they're pressing the truth? Where is the truth about God? It's the truth that God exists, that He created this world, and that mankind owes God our thanks and our worship. Humanity is suppressing that truth. And Paul uses the word suppress here in verse 18 because these truths about God are obvious. He goes on to say His existence, His eternal power, and His divine nature. That he is worthy of our respect and thankfulness. All of these things are obvious. And so man is intentionally restricting his knowledge of that. He's suppressing that truth in his life. And the wickedness on display is evidence of that. What Paul means here is that creation itself is evidence that God exists. We are to look at all of the beauty around us, the mountains, the hills, the trees, the rivers and streams, the oceans, and just the majesty of creation and give God praise. That that is to motivate us to know that there is a creator at work in this. But mankind has suppressed that. In fact, the very teaching of evolution is not so much about science. It's about man's desire to explain creation without a God. To put God out of the equation and say something else other than God did this. 
you know, and that's what the scripture says here, that man, his heart has been darkened and his mind has become foolish because it is really an incredible thought that this intricate, complex world came about by accident. That, that there is no design, no intelligence behind it. Nobody thought this through and put this together, that it just happened. Now, all of you left your homes this morning and imagine you left and the kitchen floor was spotless because you got up this morning and scrubbed it. And when you go back home today, you see muddy footprints across your beautiful kitchen floor. There is no one in the world that would be able to convince you that it got there by themselves. No one would be able to convince you that nobody walked on that floor. Even if you search the house from top to bottom and don't find anyone. Even if you're never able to see who did it and, and you don't know where they are or why they did it or how they did it. You know because the evidence of those footprints that someone has been walking in your kitchen. Where creation has God's footprints all over it. It shows us that somebody put some thought into this. Somebody designed this. There was an intelligent being behind the creation of this world. And yet mankind has deliberately suppressed that truth and refuses to acknowledge it. God's eternal power and divine nature are obvious, but man doesn't want to accept it. Instead, man has deliberately refused to acknowledge that God is God. And that's why in verse 20, Paul says that mankind is without excuse and subject to God's wrath. Now he starts off with this bad news because that's the problem that the gospel solves. You know, it's not just people can be saved if they want to, that your life is okay without God. But if you want to add a little bit of extra to your life and just be extra blessed and have God in your life, we all were subject to God's wrath. We all were headed for hell and eternal damnation. God was angry with all of us because of our rebellion and our sin against him. And we needed this good news to come so that we could be saved from the fate that we were headed to. One of the things I want to point out here is notice in verse 18 that he doesn't say that the wrath of God will be revealed. You see that? He says the wrath of God is being revealed. God's judgment against mankind has already begun. Now there is a sense in which there is a final judgment, a final damnation. But the state of this world is evidence of the fact that God's judgment has already begun. Look at verse 23. It says, they exchanged the glory of God for images made to look like man or animals. And then in verse 24, the consequence, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires. God giving them over in their sinful desires is part of his judgment against mankind. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The truth that God exists, that his eternal power and a divine nature are all evidence. They exchanged all of that. And in verse 26, he says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. And then the example he gives there is homosexuality. Now, that's not the only shameful lust that mankind is given over to. But that's the example he uses here. In verse 26, they exchanged heterosexual relations for homosexual ones. And the consequence in verse 27, they received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. In verse 28, they did not retain God in their knowledge. And so in the latter part of 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. What Paul is saying here is that man was living in rebellion against God, refusing to worship him and acknowledge him and respect him as God. And so God basically took his hands off. 
God allowed man to just go on his own way and follow his own sinful desires. And those sinful desires have led to very bad consequences as man has gone deeper and deeper into sin. And then at the latter part of this passage here, he lists all of this wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, so on and so on. All of this is evidence of God's judgment against mankind. An analogy would be if you have a child that has reached an age where you can no longer just tell them what to do. You know, they're they're now of an age where they have to make their own decisions, maybe an adult child. And maybe this child is wanting to make a financial decision. They go out and buy a brand new car that you know is too expensive for them and you're trying to reason with them, trying to tell them why and and lead them right down, down the right path. But if they refuse to listen, they just had their mind made up. No, I'm an adult. I'm grown. It's my money. It's my job. This is what I want to do. At some point, you might say, you know what? I'm, I, I forget it. I'm done with it. <laughs> do what you want to do. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. And you let them go on and do what it is that they are so determined to do. And then when it turns into a mess, you know, when they get themselves deep in debt and they're, they're, they're not able to pay the, the car note, all of that, then you're hoping that it'll bring them to a place of repentance where they'll realize I don't have all the answers. Maybe I need to listen to mom and dad when they speak to me. Just because I'm grown doesn't mean I know everything I should do. Well, this is what God has done. God was trying to steer mankind in the right direction, calling them to repentance. But man was determined to do what was wrong. And as a consequence, God just took his hands off. He just let man go. And when you look around the state of this world today, it is evidence, first of all, of man's rebellion against God, but also evidence of God's judgment against mankind. I've heard people, when you read in the news about you know, the most sickening types of crimes, you know, where uh, a young man would break into a home and and rape an 80 or 90 year old woman or, you know, people abusing children and say, well, how could God allow that to happen? The reason it happens is because God's judgment against mankind is being revealed because God has taken the restraints off. He's not holding us and making us do what was right. He said, go do what you want to do. God's judgment is already on evidence in this world. This again is the bad news the gospel comes to address. At the heart of man's problem is a spirit of atheism. The belief that God does not exist. Now, most of us, we think about atheists, we think of someone who says, I don't believe in God. But there are actually three types of atheists. And this is what I want to challenge us on this morning. There's the philosophical atheist. There's the practical atheist, and believe it or not, there's even a religious atheist. Now, because we all are religious, we all are in church, you know, the ideal of, you know, a spirit of atheism, we would say, oh, that doesn't affect us because I believe in God. But we'll see in a moment that that spirit is really strong, it's pervasive in this world, and it unfortunately can even influence people who believe in Christ. So let's look at these three types of atheists. The first is the philosophical atheist. This is the group we normally think of when we think of an atheist. It's someone who rejects the notion of any deity. Someone who says that they do not believe that God exists. Interestingly, about 2% of Americans claim to be atheists, but 17% of Brits claim to be atheists. That has profound implications for how we minister and evangelize in this community and in this, in this country. This isn't a, a, a Christian country. This isn't a place where people already accept the teachings of Scripture. 
this is becoming more and more a place where we've got to use kind of missionary tactics that people did when they went to other parts of the world to win people to Jesus Christ today. Paul says of this group that it is without excuse because the evidence of nature points to God. People who claim that they don't believe in God, people who are atheists, they are intentionally suppressing all that nature reveals about God. But here's the other type of atheist, the practical atheist. Paul refers to this type of atheist in verse 21 to 22. Look at that with me, please. He says, for all they, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. This is also said of this group in Psalm 14, verse 1. The psalmist says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now notice in the passage in, in Psalms 14 and 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart. It doesn't say the fool has said. This isn't someone who's uttered that or said they believe this. But this is someone who reflects that attitude in their heart and in the way they live. A practical atheist is someone who acknowledges, yeah, I believe there's a deity or I believe that God exists, but they live as if there is no God. They, they feel like God has nothing to do with their life. They don't honor Him, respect Him. They don't see that God is the sovereign Lord of their life. But yet if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, they believe in God. Paul says this person too is without excuse because they know that God exists. Verse number 21 says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. I think there are a lot of people that fall into that category. People who claim that they believe in God, but yet their lives reflect that they don't believe God exists at all. They don't fear Him, they don't respect Him, they don't honor Him. But here's the one I think is a real challenge for us today. The religious atheist. I know, that sounds like a contradiction of terms. But if you understand that an atheist is not just someone who confesses with their mouth that they don't believe in God, but someone who lives their life as if there is no God, then you can see that it can affect people who are even religious. The religious atheist is someone who has a religious affiliation, you know, believes in God, maybe calls themselves a Christian or a churchgoer, but the way they live their life reflects that they don't really believe that God exists. Paul refers to this type of atheist in verse 23. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. These are people who believed in the concept of a deity, but they don't believe that God actually exists, a real God with real feelings and real emotions and real uh, intellect and a will exists. Instead, they create a God. They take a piece of wood or stone and they carve it out and they say, this is God. And they project all of their faith into this thing instead of getting to know the real God. And in a real sense, these people have the same spirit of the atheist. They don't believe that there is a God in heaven who exists and is real and has a, a will of his own and a mind of his own who we have to know and live in obedience to. They substitute the real God for some other kind of God. But I've found that there can be many Christians, or so-called Christians, who can be influenced by this same thought. An example is, the person who claims to be a Christian, 
But instead of reading God's word and getting to know who God really is, because he is real. He's not a figment of our imagination. We just can't conjure him up. We can't project unto him our views, our ideas, what we think is right. We've got to discover what he's like. We can't make him up in our own image. But yet there are people who will, without looking at the Bible, say, you know what? I don't, I don't believe that God cares who you sleep with. I don't believe God cares about homosexuality or about whether you have sex outside of marriage. And what they have done is created a God of their own, in their own mind, and projected into that God all that they think God is. But God is real. Other Christians are influenced by this in the way that we pray. God is real. He has a will and a mind of his own. The scripture says that his thoughts are far above our thoughts and his ways are different than our ways. But how many times do we find ourselves thinking of God not as the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, the one who's in charge in our life, who we have to line up with, but a God that exists to do our beckoning calling. A God whose only purpose, his only reason for existing is to make our lives better. That whatever it is that we want, then we expect him to do it. We expect him to rubber stamp any decision that we have. We expect him to do whatever it is that we do. We want him to do. And in fact, instead of God being in control, we become the ones in control. We're the master. God is a glorified genie. He's there to do and accomplish whatever it is that we can't do for ourselves. You know, we can make God out to be this utensil. A handy thing to have in times of trouble. If we ever want to do something, we want to do it, but we don't have the power to do it, God will do it for me. That's not who God is. God is a real person with a real desire and will all his own. He cannot be bent and molded into whatever form we want. He's not there to do our beck and calling. He's not a glorified genie in a bottle that whenever we want something, we just make a wish and he is duty bound to provide it. As Christians, we must honor and worship and acknowledge that he is God and not us. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The temptation that really tripped Eve up was when Satan says that if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And many of us today, we still want to be like God. There are some Christians, their attitude towards God really is, if God is not there to do what I want Him to do, then what do I need Him for? If He's not there to, to answer every prayer the way that I want to answer it, then what, what good is He? I'm in control. And I tell God what it is I want Him to do. That really is a religious atheist. We need to make sure that we are not expecting God to just rubber stamp our ideals, but to get in line with what his will is for our life. Jesus is the perfect example of this. Jesus taught us in a model prayer to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what our heart's desire must be. Not that God, I have ideals. I have desires. I have ambitions. I have a sense of what I want. And will you make it happen? We, we, I, I, I have the will, but I don't have the power. God, you have the power to make my will happen. So will you just please do that? That's not what we, our attitude should be. He's, our attitude should be, God, may your will, your desires, your ambitions for my life and for this world, may it happen the same way it happens in heaven. And how does it happen in heaven? It happens beautifully, perfectly. Everything surrenders to God's will. We must do that as well. 
Jesus also showed us this example in the Garden of Eden. Before He went to the cross, it says that He prayed, and He prayed so intensely that His sweat was like drops of blood coming from His body. He was in agony over the prospect of what He was about to face. It wasn't an easy thing to do. Jesus did not go to the cross skipping and singing and thinking, oh, okay, this is no big deal. It was hard for Him. And he actually prayed, God, if there's any other way to bring salvation to mankind other than me being nailed on that cross, will you please do it? But in the end, his attitude was, but not my will, but yours be done. As Christians, is that our attitude in everything in life? Is our attitude, God, not my will, but your will be done? Do we seek to understand what God's will is for our life? Or do we set out to be our own God? Make our own decisions and just expect God to make them come true? It's a very different attitude. Do we truly worship Him and honor Him as the sovereign Lord of our life? As Christians, our attitude really has to be, God, my life is yours. I don't want to live one minute on this earth longer than you want me to. I don't want to do anything in this earth that you don't want me to do. I want my entire life to be devoted, surrendered to you. Have your way with me. There are too many of us that we don't live like that. We have our own ideals, our own plans, our own ambitions, and then all we seek God to do is to make it happen. The thing that really brought God's wrath against mankind is verse 21 again. Although they knew God, they knew that God existed. They neither glorified Him as God, nor gave Him thanks. We must honor, respect, and acknowledge God as God. Amen? He is God. There is no other God but Him. We are not God. We are not in control of our own destiny. We are not masters of our own fate. We are not here to do our own will or accomplish our own ideals, we are here to live lives completely surrendered and devoted to fulfilling His will for our life. And our hearts have to say amen to that. Even when it hurts. Even when it's not what we really wanted in life. I faced this up close and personal. When my father died, I can still remember it like it uh, was yesterday. Being in that hospital leaving his room and going to one of the restrooms in that hospital and going into one of the stalls and leaning against it. And at that moment, I was convinced in my heart that God had the power to heal him. That whatever had just happened to him, and at that time we didn't know it was a stroke. We just knew he was on machines and they were trying to figure out what had happened. You know, whatever had happened, I just knew God could change it. But in my spirit, I just felt, God, at this moment, something is happening. And I feel you're in it. Help me to accept it. If you're going to heal him, if you're going to take him, just whatever happens, just help me to accept it. And I'm thankful that God gave me that mind to pray that prayer at that moment. It has helped to bring a tremendous amount of peace over a very difficult loss. But all of us, whatever we're facing in our life, we are not God. We are not in control. It is not for us to tell him what to do. It is for us to ask Him what it is that we are to do in our life. Verses 18 to 32, again, are the bad news that the good news addresses. 
Paul makes it very clear that every human being is subject to God's wrath. Because we have all, as, as, as humanity, failed to acknowledge God as God. Failed to honor and respect and appreciate that He is the sovereign creator of this world. That our lives are in His hands. No one is without excuse. Because there is enough evidence in nature. God has revealed it through His Holy Spirit. God has given everybody a conscience that tells us the difference between right and wrong. One theologian put it this way, that God has created all of us with a heart-shaped hole in our heart. There is something that longs for relationship with God. No one is without excuse. This is the bad news that Paul brings out. But the good news that he gets into and we've looked at in Romans is that Jesus Christ came to provide a way. A way of escape. To help us to have our sins forgiven, our relationship with God restored. And that's why it's called salvation, because we're saved from something. We are all headed for hell. That's the penalty of our sin. Jesus Christ came to save us from that. But then we were all bound by sin. Jesus Christ came to save us from that as well. And to allow us to live the life that God created us to live. And all Paul says that's necessary... And this is the good news that uh, righteousness from God is revealed that is by faith from first to last. All that's necessary is for people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to give a million pounds. You don't have to work or do 100 hours of community service every week or do any great feat. It's not beyond the reach of certain people. If it was a monetary thing, then certain people would be able to be saved and others would just never be able to uh, accumulate it. You know, if it was required for you to go and, and make a trip to Jerusalem, you know, before, before you leave this earth to be saved, then some would never be able to make it and they would be lost. If it was about works, there are some people who physically can't do for themselves, so they would never be able to do it. But it's by faith, so it's accessible to everybody. That's good news. And that's the good news that we have to share with this world. But that's also why no one is without excuse. Because God has done everything. He has bent over backwards to bring salvation. And only those who refuse his free offer will be eternally lost. I know this is a message that is largely about the bad news for people in the world. Those of us who have already accepted Christ, we have already accepted the good news. But I find it is also a real challenge for us to make sure that we are not influenced by the spirit of atheism. We may not be atheists, but let's make sure we're not influenced by that spirit and try to be the God in our life. We've got to surrender everything to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Just for a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just reflect on what God has been saying to you this morning. With every head bowed still... Is there someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who wants to accept Him today? If there is, just raise your hand where you are and say, yeah, pray for me. I'm not a Christian, but I want to become one today. If you are a Christian, but you've heard God speaking to you this morning about a need to really surrender to Him and let Him be God of your life and not for you to be the God, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, pray for me. God has spoken to me. I need to surrender some things in my life. Just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. Amen. Let's pray. 
Dear God, we thank you this morning for your word and thank you for the message of it, a very clear message of how your wrath is being revealed against mankind for humanity's refusal to acknowledge that you are God and to love you and respect you and honor you as God in this world and in our lives as individuals. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to share this message and help people all around about us understand that they are in danger, that there's a real problem that they have. And until they accept your son, they will uh, fall prey to this uh, danger of being lost for all of eternity. Father, I pray that you'd help us to make that message very clear and then share the good news that Jesus Christ came to save them from that awful fate. No one needs to be lost. No one needs to be separated from you. You have done everything. You've given the best of heaven to rescue us from that awful fate. But Father, I also pray for those of us who are Christians, who have put our faith in you. Father, help us not to be influenced by this spirit of atheism. This desire for us to be the God and for you to be the one that just carries out our wishes. Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn to surrender everything to you, to to get in tune with what your desire is for our life. So, dear God, I thank you for those who raised their hands and that they've heard you speaking to them. Whatever it is in their life that they need to let go, need to surrender to you, I just pray you'd give them the grace and the strength to do that today. And Father, help all of us to honor you, not just with our voice, not just in our, 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 our things that we say, but in our thoughts and in our lives. Father, help us to lift you up as the God of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.